1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let me pray for us. Um, Father, I am grateful uh, for this church family. Um, it is just a joy and a privilege uh, to be their pastor, to be their brother in Christ. And um, I pray, God, that for all of us, Lord, that you would just uh, feed us uh, with your word. Uh, that as we study um, what uh, your word says about elders and their role and, and, and such, God, that you would um, just give us a clear vision of just the beauty of your church, uh, maybe a, a clear vision of what you call us to as Christians, uh, that we might live for your glory, help one another grow, uh, and do good to our neighbors. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're continuing through our uh, sermon series through 1 Timothy. We've called the subtitle Blueprints for the Household of God. Uh, the idea being that uh, if you want to learn how to build something right, like a healthy church, uh, you need blueprints, right? You need some sort of manual to know step by step, like how to build it right. And so blueprints for the household of God, that's what 1 Timothy is all about, uh, how to rightly order a healthy church. Today, we're going to talk about the topic of leadership in the church, particularly the role of pastors and elders. Now, I know that when I say that, uh, some of you are tempted to check out, right? Uh, uh, you're like, leadership? That, that doesn't really apply to me. You're not, you're not thinking like, I need this sermon, right? Uh, and if, especially if like you're visiting or tuning in, streaming online for the first time, you're thinking like, man, we, we sure picked a Sunday to come and to listen. But I, I want to push back on that kind of thinking, all right? I want to push back on that thinking because I want you to see that what the Bible says about church leadership is vital to your life as a Christian. It's essential to your growth in Christ as a Christian. Your understanding of this passage is essential to the health and to the strength of our church and your brothers and sisters here. And so I'm going to tell you why this matters to you. I'm just going to do this really quick, just go through a quick list of why a passage like this might matter to you, even if you're, you know, like you might not ever called, feel called to be a pastor, is number one, it's God's word, right? It's God's word. And so all scripture is useful, the Bible tells us. Uh, and so uh, that's first and foremost, is it's God's word. Number two, uh, many of us, many of us in this room, we have a church leadership story. Right? Many of us have been affected positively in our walk with Jesus by particular pastors or church leaders. Uh, and some of us have a different story. We've been deeply hurt by pastors or church leaders, uh, emotionally wounded, spiritually wounded. Both of those are part of my story, too. 
And so it's good for us to know the Bible's blueprints on church leadership so we see what the scriptures have to say about it, so we see what God has to say about it. Uh, uh, in addition to that, all of us, all of us are, should be growing in these character qualities. You'll notice that a good chunk of our text that we're going to go through uh, has to do with the character uh, qualifications of pastors and elders. It talks less, this passage talks less about what a pastor actually does, and it talks more about who a pastor is, what he should be. And while many of you might not ever receive the call of pastoring, all of us are called to grow in the character of leadership. D.A. Carson, New Testament theologian, says that the most extraordinary things about the biblical prerequisites for elders uh, right here in 1 Timothy 3 is that they are not all that extraordinary. They're not all that extraordinary. It's just, they're just normal things, a normal list of what should be true of really every believer. Uh, the idea is that those who are called to the role in pastoring should be exemplary uh, in all of those characteristics. And so in some sense, if you don't meet the biblical requirements of an elder, it might be an indicator that you have some areas that Jesus, by his grace, wants to help you grow in as you go deeper into the gospel with him. In addition, there's also the reality that some of you in this room might one day aspire to serve as a pastor or elder in, in this church or maybe in another church. Right? And as you'll see in a minute, the Bible says that, that that desire, that aspiration is actually a good thing. Uh, the Bible calls it a noble thing. And if that's, if that's you, if you think you might be called to that, then this text can serve as sort of this self-assessment. Hold it up like a mirror, right? So you, you can ask like, hey, what is God showing me uh, about myself through this text? Where is he prodding me out of love? Where does he want to prune me? Where do I need to grow? What doesn't fit in this list? What needs to change? And so, by the way, when I say the word elder, um, we're not talking like old guy, like a Yoda figure or Gandalf, right? I mean, it could be, but that's not necessarily that, right? Like, we're not thinking like older, elder, that kind of thing, like an old guy, uh, nor are we talking about those guys that ride on bikes and knock on your door, right? Have short sleeves, but a full tie, uh, Elder Smith on their name tag, right? That's totally different team, all right? Different religion, they worship a different Jesus. And so that's not what we're talking about. Uh, those are the Mormons, by the way, if you didn't know that. Um, and so, uh, but it's, but it's, uh, it's important for us to, to understand that uh, some of us are, might be called to serve as what the Bible calls an elder uh, or a pastor. Lastly, as members of a local congregation, which hopefully you are, <clears throat> as members of a local congregation, you need to know what the Bible says about the pastoral role, to know how to pray for pastors and what to expect from them. Uh, in a few different places in the Bible, it says that you should honor your pastors, know the weight of the responsibility that they actually hold. Thank you so much. Uh, is this water? Awesome. Um, just wanted to make sure, you know. Um, I don't know if it's going to be hot or cold or what, right? Um, you need to be prepared and warned. So anyways, um, you need to know what the Bible has to say about the pastoral role to know um, what to expect from pastors so you know how to pray for them. Uh, it, it behooves us to know what the Bible says about pastors uh, so that we know how we can come alongside and support our pastors. Uh, and you, you also need to know what the Bible has to say about pastors, because you, if you are a covenant member of this church, you will have a voice at the table when it comes to installing our new pastors and elders going forward, 
right? That's what's modeled for us in the scriptures. Most churches don't practice that in our, in our current, like, 21st century American church, right? But 1 Timothy 5, Galatians 1, and other places, we see that members of the local church should have a voice uh, as to uh, who gets installed as new pastors. We have a couple of guys in this room that we've been talking to who've received training uh, over the last few years, who have been assigned different tasks, leading groups and ministries, all while being assessed in their faithfulness and character. Uh, And you're gonna hear more about them uh, as we work our way uh, through this book, 1 Timothy. And as they lead and serve, you need to be able to say uh, one of two things. Either one, yes, I affirm that that man will serve our church well as a pastor. Or number two, no, I kind of have some hesitations. I've got some hesitations because of uh, maybe his character or his competency. And so it's important for you to have some sense of what the Bible says about pastors and, and elders. A lot of believers, they don't have biblical expectations of pastors. They have personal expectations of pastors. It's important that your expectations are shaped by the scriptures. See, leadership in the church is important. It's important. At the end of the day, leadership sets the tone for the church, for the family, for doctrine, and for our witness. And so the Bible, uh, just by way of preface, identifies uh, two primary leadership roles in the church. Uh, the, the role of uh, pastor-elder, uh, that's, that's one role, pastor slash elder uh, and deacons. And we're going to look at elders this week, and we're going to look at deacons next week. Now, the role of elder is for qualified men. For qualified men. The role of deacon is for qualified men or women. Uh, if you don't like that, you got to listen to last week's sermon, all right, where we kind of went over gender roles in the local church. Here's the main idea of today's sermon, is that God calls pastor elders to be servant leaders who oversee the spiritual growth of the church and equip its members to live for the glory of God and the good of others. God himself calls pastor elders to be servant leaders who oversee the spiritual growth of the church and equip its members to live for the glory of God and the good of others. So we're going to work our way now through 1 Timothy Chapter 3, here's point number one. In the first few verses, the first, uh, actually the first verse, we see the pastor's calling, all right? The pastor's calling. Verse 1 of First Timothy 3 says this. It says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So this verse here is talking about the sense of calling, all right? That word aspire in the original Greek is about internal calling. It's about this unshakable burning in your soul. It's usually not something that, that, that you look to happen. It's something that just kind of happens to you. We see this in the scriptures. Look at all the Old Testament prophets. You got Abraham, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, David, guys like that. Most of those guys, they weren't looking to be called. They just had this heavy burden that was placed on them by God the Holy Spirit that they just couldn't help and couldn't ignore. And when he says aspire to the office of overseer, just so you know, that word overseer is another word for pastor or elder. In the New Testament, the words elder and pastor and bishop and overseer, as we see here in 1 Timothy 3.3, those are all interchangeable terms for the same role, all right? By the way, an internal calling 
An internal aspiration, an internal desire is, is not enough. All right? There also needs to be an external calling. That's where you have an external confirmation on your internal calling that comes from outside of yourself, where you place yourself underneath the honest and sometimes uncomfortable assessment uh, of a group of Christians outside of yourself. Often, often includes your family and, and peers and uh, other pastors and leaders like that. The original Greek word for desire here, when it says he desires a noble task, uh, the Greek word is epithumeo. It's, it's this deep, deep-seated longing. This deep, deep passion that, that only God can give a person. And because it's given by God, the passion, this passion needs to serve God's kingdom purposes, not your own. All right? So that means I need to be preaching, right? I just feel like I got to be preaching. It's not the kind of passion this is talking about. That's all about you. All right? God-given passion says, no, I want to see the world changed. I want to see sinners saved. I want to see dads in the church discipling their kids. I want to see legacies forged. It's a passion that says God's kingdom come, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Look, Paul continues. He says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires, he calls it a noble task. Now, what is this noble task that pastors assume and take on? I want us to look now at uh, what we see in the scriptures as four responsibilities of pastor elders, four responsibilities of elders. I'll go through these quickly, but number one, they teach the whole counsel of God. In Titus 1.9, we read that he, the pastor, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So that tells us that a pastor should be able to speak God's truth, meaning that he knows God's truth. And when he speaks it, he's willing to speak it even when it's unpopular. Elders need to know the Bible and teach, know how to teach from it. We're going to talk more about teaching later on. Um, but notice here that he says uh, that he also, uh, the reason that he needs to be able to teach is so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. That phrase, sound doctrine, in other words, uh, he's talking about uh, doctrinal formulations, theological concepts that have been passed down, that are informed by the scriptures, but have been passed down to us by previous generations. All right. If you didn't know, uh, you pro hopefully you know this if you've gone through our membership process, but at King's Cross, this church is what we might call a confessionally reformed church. And part of what that means is that we are well acquainted, the pastors of this church and elders are particularly those who are um, expected to be well acquainted with the creeds and catechisms and confessions of faith that stood the test of time. Elders need to be theologically competent, all right? Because being able to teach is more than just knowing where to find certain Bible verses and then having a novel idea on how to interpret them, or having some idea on how to interpret them that's only been around for the last 50 years, right? That's not sound doctrine that Paul's talking about, all right? And so teach the whole counsel of God. Elders also need to lead under Christ's authority. They need to offer leadership, lead under Christ's authority. Acts 20, 28 says this. This is also Paul speaking. <clears throat> 
to the elders in Ephesus in Acts 20. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's that word again. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So when we say that elders are to lead, what we're talking about is they provide visionary leadership that is informed by the scriptures, not by the culture, but by scriptures. And then they put in place the means of fulfilling the scripture-defined mission. All right? Notice he says here that the Holy Spirit is the one who makes people, or who makes guys into overseers. All right? So the Holy Spirit's the one that does that. So you don't campaign for yourself, right? Like, you don't put up lawn signs uh, telling people to, 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 you know, try and uh, affirm your leadership, right? That's not how that this works. It's something that the Holy Spirit does when he, he stirs that desire up in someone, when they get that external confirmation from the church. Elders understand that the people that they lead don't belong to them. They belong to Jesus, Right? Just as he says, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And because this is the blood-bought church of God, you know there's a weightiness to that. It's a heaviness, a gravity, a, a, a weightiness. And, and you need to know, man, like, I, I take this seriously. To know that I'm going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account for how we've led the church And so elders need to lead under Christ's authority and with Christ's help. Number three, they need to care for the bride of Christ. They provide care and counsel to the bride of Christ. Again, in verse 28, it says, care for the church of God. You notice here that there's a lot of metaphor language, uh, like an an analogical language uh, when talking about pastors, uh, talking about a flock and talking about shepherding, right? That word pastor comes from the word for shepherd. That's what a pastor is. It's a shepherd, right? Now, when I say the word shepherd, what do you think of? Right about now, you're probably thinking about the nativity scene, right, that you're about to take out and put out on your your coffee table. Uh, But I don't want you to think so much of an image of a shepherd. I want you to think about the character of a shepherd, someone who's gentle, who's caring, who knows his sheep and leads them accordingly. This isn't a cowboy that drives people. He's a tender shepherd that that knows his sheep and leads them accordingly. He provides care and counsel. He mends what's broken. He brings hope to those who need it. He guides them with a loving hand. Elders are also to protect, number four, the church from harm. Protect the church from harm. Uh, Again, in Acts 20, verse 29 and 30 this time, uh, Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves uh, will come in among you. He's using a metaphor there, uh, not sparing the flock. He's talking about false teachers. He calls them wolves. Verse 30, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Now, I'm not going to belabor this to point because we've talked about false doctrine and teaching already at the beginning of this series. But what you need to know is that pastors need to protect their flocks from false teaching. All right? One of their primary roles. But they also need to protect the church from other forms of harm like abuse, physical harm, emotional, spiritual harm and abuse. So these, this is the noble task that elders are called to, to teach, to lead, to care, and to protect. Now, as we continue on in 1 Timothy, we look at point number two, 
we see the pastor's character, right? So we just looked at the pastor's calling. Now we're going to talk about the pastor's character. And listen, churches have made a big mistake, a huge mistake, by putting people into place, places of leadership because of their gifts while without examining their character or their godliness. What gifts can get you, what gifts can do for you is this. They can get you attention from others up front, right? That's what gifts can do. But godliness, character, can carry that gift beyond the gift alone. Being a leader in the church starts with character, not competency, not what you can do, but who you are. And notice I didn't say that competency isn't important, right? Like, obviously, if you can't do the job, you shouldn't have the job. But leadership doesn't start with what you do. It starts with who you are. I can't drive that home enough, okay? What's more important is not so much what you do for Christ, but who you are in Christ, all right? You've heard me say before, the most important thing about me, Chris Pobletti, is not that I'm a pastor of this church, not that I'm a church planter, but it's that I'm a son of the living God because of my Savior, Jesus Christ. And if that's the most important thing about me, and if you're a Christian too, that's the most important thing about you too, you too, all right? And, and that means uh, it, it's sort of um, like evils the playing field in, in, in terms of our spiritual value and dignity and worth, right? Pastors aren't better than other people. They just serve in a particular role. So what does a pastor's character look like? Uh, we're going to look at this in three categories, personal character, family character, uh, and public witness. We'll fly through these, okay? And personal character, uh, notice right there, uh, it, it says uh, in the next verse, uh, therefore, an overseer must be above re reproach. An overseer must be above reproach. Now, that word for above reproach, uh, the Greek word there uh, is, is, literally means unimpeachable, all right? In other words, there's no known offense in that person's life that could possibly challenge their integrity or their credibility. There's no glaring signs of sin that have gone ignored and are not being dealt with. All right? Now, this doesn't mean that you're expected to be perfect. If that was the case, then none of us could be pastors. The question is, when you do sin, do you feel and sense the conviction of it? Do you repent of that sin? Good leadership is not determined by the absence of mistakes, but with how we actually deal with them. It's not determined by the absence of sin, but how we deal with our sin when we do commit them. Are those mistakes the exception or are they the rule? Is it a pattern? We should never present a man before the church and say, hey, we're appointing, we are planning on appointing this guy to be an elder in this church and have someone else in the room go, that guy? I saw that guy passed out naked on his couch at a birthday party last week, right? Like that would, that would not meet what we're, we're looking for when we say above reproach. He needs to be a person who is unimpeachable, no known offense against his character or integrity. Uh, he also needs to be, uh, it says, the husband of one, one wife. The husband and one wife. In other words, uh, if he's married, uh, he doesn't have to be married. It's usually a good idea if he is, right? But if he is married, he's a one-woman man. Right? So this has to do, this qualification has to do with marital faithfulness. So he's obviously, uh, on the one hand, not sleeping with other people, but he's also not flirtatious with them either. He's not low-key looking at porn or fantasizing about other women. His commitment to his wife, it shows in the way that he treats her, in the way he talks about her, right? When she's not in the room, in the way that he cherishes her. 
He's also to be, next qualification, sober-minded. Sober-minded, the word there means not easily pressured or temperate or moderate. Right? And when I say moderate, it's not the type of moderate that means like you're boring and, and safe, right? But it's the type where you're, you're measured and you're trustworthy. There's a dignity to it. It's a picture of a man who isn't in excess. He's not easily influenced, but he's actually an influence on others. He's not easily swayed by cultural fads or by the opinions of, of unbelievers. He's not lured by strong drinks or by pretty women. He's sober-minded. Next qualification, it says that he's self-controlled, very similar to sober-minded. Self-controlled basically means you keep your earthly passions on a, on a leash, right? You know, like the bigger the dog, the more gnarly of a leash and collar that you need. You, you know what you need in terms of your self-control in order to keep your passions in check, your fleshly and earthly passions. Because a leash keeps you from going where you're not supposed to go. This means he doesn't waste time or energy um, on trivial things uh, because he wants to accomplish tasks of eternal value. He's also respectable. That's the next word, respectable. This means that people just look at his life and they see somebody worth emulating. He's also hospitable. This word means a friend of strangers. So he's not like this, this theological hermit, right? Like elders don't just read big books all the time and never talk to people, right? Uh, they know that they're called to reach out to others, to do good to others, like the Israelites who were called in Leviticus 19 to love their neighbor as themselves. They look for opportunities of engagement. They know that hospitality is often hard, but it's worth it. And he's okay with his life being interrupted by opportunities to serve other people. He's also able to teach. And this is where we're going to talk about teaching a little bit more at length. But uh, that, that, that phrase there, able to teach, you'll notice there that this is the only competency in this whole list. All right? It's one of... It's one of the things that sets elders apart from other church leaders. He doesn't just know the word, but he can teach it. He's devoted to the scriptures. He's able to communicate it effectively, right? He doesn't have to be a beast in the pulpit, but he needs to know how to open his Bible and to know how to share what it teaches. A shepherd can't feed the flock if he doesn't have the food that they need. A shepherd can't protect the flock from the wolves of false teaching if he's not competent in true teaching. What shepherds feed the flock with is the word of God. He needs to be able to teach it. A shepherd feeds with the word of God, not with hot takes, not with politics, not with self-help pro tips, but the word of God that is centered on the grace of God in Jesus Christ. It says also that he needs to be not a drunkard. Not a drunkard. Now, to be clear, the Bible does not forbid elders from drink drinking, right? Where we see in the scriptures that Jesus himself drank wine, so did all the disciples. Uh, Paul and Timothy did. Uh, you'll actually see later in, the, in 1 Timothy where Paul uh, uh, recommends to Timothy that if he's, he's feeling ill or a little sick, he says, hey, maybe take a little bit of wine for that. You might feel better, right? And so, so it does, the Bible does not forbid elders uh, from drinking, but it does forbid them from drunkenness. 
Ephesians 5.18 says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled instead with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy a tall glass to the glory of God, but it does mean that drunkenness has to go. Not everyone needs to abstain from alcohol, but some of us should. Some of us need to. And so he says, do not be a drunkard. He's not a drunkard. Uh, he continues and he says he's somebody who's not violent but gentle. Now, this is not just violent, like physically, but violent emotionally too, all right? The pastor needs to be somebody who's not hot-headed. He's not abusive in his leadership. And just to be clear, abusive is not when a pastor, like, calls you out on your sin, all right? Like, and you're calling it abusive because you're feeling, like, challenged on your sin. No, it's being a bully. It's misusing your power in order to domineer over others, right? First Peter 5 says, don't be domineering in your leadership. It's oppressing others. <laughs> a pastor should treat others with grace and restore sinners in gentleness. He continues that theme when he says he should not be quarrelsome. He's not quarrelsome. That means he's not someone who's like the kind of guy who's like always looking for a fight, right? Always looking for conflict. Now listen, healthy, a healthy team, a healthy team of, of leaders should disagree at times. Like that's good and healthy. But this here is talking about the guy who just like, he always has to fight. He always has to disagree. Like if you live for the conflict, that's bad. If you avoid conflict, that's bad too. What you need are men who, who don't like conflict necessarily, but they also aren't afraid to get into it uh, if they have to, and they can do so with wisdom and grace. Now on these last two, on being uh, quarrelsome and not violent but gentle, I love the words of Jared Wilson here uh, in his book called uh, Pastor's Justification. Jared Wilson says this. He says, a pastor will need to rebuke. He will need to condemn heresy and judge sin and upbraid the disobedient. He will need to discipline the unrepentant. He will need to issue polemic against false teaching and false gospels. But a holy pastor recognizes more and more the difference between these things and getting up on his soapbox, going off on a rant, pontificating on non-essential matters, blowing off steam, bellowing gossip, spilling the guts of others, beating his chest, engaging in judgmentalism, and in general, becoming a loose-tongued jerk. Such a man is unfit for the pastorate. Likewise, the nitpicker, the argumentative man, the critical spirit, the sniping man, the whiner, he is unfit for the pastorate. A man routinely impatient with sinners is unfit for the pastorate. Not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, but a peacemaker. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Paul continues and he says, he also needs to be not a lover of money. This means he's not greedy for material gain. Pastors, uh, particularly in the West, a lot of them have gotten a, a bad rap for being lovers of money. Uh, if a pastor asks for money, that's not necessarily being greedy. 1 Timothy 17 through 18 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. But the idea here is that a pastor, when he raises money, he's raising money for the kingdom, not his penthouse. 
right? For the mission, not for his materialism. It's not wrong for a pastor to make a living, but it is wrong for him to make an excessive living and to take with greed. Right? So these are all the things related to his personal character. But I want you to notice that he also, in the next few verses, talks about his family character, the family character of a pastor. Verse 4, he says he must be able to manage his household well. See, when an elder has character in his own personal life, like we've just talked about in the last few minutes, that should naturally spill into his family life too. That means is he present with his family? Is he invested in, does he even care about the spiritual formation, the gospel formation of his family? Is he promoting the gospel at the dinner table? Is he leading his kids and praying for their unbelieving friends and neighbors? This means, men, that you don't abdicate spiritual leadership in the home to your wife. You take glad responsibility of that leadership. You're the one engaging your family spiritually. You're the one taking them to church. He continues, and he says, with all dignity, Keeping his children submissive. Right? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, this doesn't mean that you have your children like under your thumb. It's not that kind of keeping your children submission, all right? It just, just means that they respect and honor you. How are you raising them? How does an elder shepherd his home? How he shepherds his home is going to determine how he'll shepherd in the church. I mean, straight, verse 5 straight up says this when he says, For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And then he says in verse 6, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit or pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil. In other words, a pastor needs to be somebody who's spiritually mature. Maturity in Christ is more important than your maturity in age. Later on in 1 Timothy, it says, don't be hasty in laying on hands of a new elder. In other words, don't be hasty in installing a new elder. The process should take time, should be slow. If we put a person in place who wasn't ready to be in that role, uh, they'll either burn out because it's too hard or they'll get cocky because things are going well. And then they'll fall into the condemnation of the devil, as Paul says. Why was the devil condemned? What was his sin? Pride. It was pride. You see, anytime you put an overly ambitious dude who can like impress a crowd but is lacking in character in a pastoral role, you put a guy like that in a pastoral role, that's like giving $100 million to, to an 18-year-old. Remember, character comes before competency, all right? This is the last banner. As we talked about his personal character, his family character, and now we talk about his public witness. We see this in verse 7. This is our last verse where Paul says, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, what was Satan's disgrace? He was somebody that was loved by God, honored and esteemed by God. Then his testimony is now ruined forever. His name, Satan's name, is preserved in Scripture as the one who went to war against God and lost. You see, this here, this verse, verse 7, is about having a good public witness. Do you have a good reputation with those outside of the faith? Now, that doesn't mean that you cater to unbelievers, 
but that means that you're generally respected as a person of integrity and character. By the way, being well thought of by outsiders has to do with integrity and character, not with celebrity. Integrity, not celebrity. Pastoral ministry is about bringing people deeper into Jesus, not deeper into like a brand or a movement. Caitlin Beatty, journalist who recently, who, she covers a lot of uh, 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 faith-based stories. Um, uh, she's, she's a Christian. Uh, she writes for a lot of uh, secular periodicals, uh, but she wrote a, a book recently, uh, just came out called uh, Celebrities for Jesus, uh, where she cr- critiques uh, just our pull uh, and attraction to celebrityism in the, in the Western church. Um, I love what she has to say here. She, she says, in a time when large swaths of the American church have merely mimicked worldly concepts of, of power going for bigger, louder, and glitzier, we have to return to the small, the quiet, the un- uncool, and the ordinary. Obscurity may very well be the spiritual discipline the American church needs to practice the most in the coming century. I think she's right. So we looked at the pastor's calling and the pastor's character. Let me give you a final word as we look at the pastor and his hope. The pastor and his hope, speaking to a group of people who doubted who he was, Jesus told this group in John 10, he said, I am the good shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one church, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the true senior pastor. He allows or he follows the Father, God the Father, like no one else does. He leads people and cares for them and shepherds them like no one else does. Christ Jesus, listen, Christ Jesus is the ultimate hope of the church and her pastors. Christ Jesus is the ultimate hope of the church and her pastors. It doesn't ultimately rest on leaders' shoulders. It doesn't ultimately rest on pastors' shoulders. No, there is a good shepherd, capital S shepherd, who is leading the church. It is his flock, remember? He's the one leading. He's the one guiding. He's the one building. He's the one calling. Jesus is not the kind of shepherd that abuses people and uses them. He's the kind of shepherd that provides, that cares, that feeds, that protects, that leads, that lays down his life. He wasn't just a good example to us. He laid down his life for his sheep, and he did that. He laid down his life because we didn't just need a good leader to follow. We needed someone to stand in our place for our sins. That is the hope of the church. 
That is the hope of this church. That is the hope of every pastor and of every church is that we have a good shepherd who will never leave us and will never give up on us. And when we fail as leaders, which we will inevitably do, and when we fail as followers, which we will inevitably do, Jesus is still faithful. And so I want to invite you, church, to step in. Pray for the under-shepherds of Jesus who serve under him, the pastor elders. Maybe just show up and see how you can contribute and help. Maybe you, you feel that you might be called to the noble task of pastoral leadership. If you do, seek it with humility. And for all of us, let us reconsider and revisit the good nature and character of our Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no dot com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.